I mean, I don't answer the phone even when I know who's calling. My voicemail isn't even set up. If you want a response from me, you need to text me. Welcome to Chats What She Said, a special podcast series in collaboration between Enrollify and Mongoose. Each month, tune in for fresh ideas for communication strategies and tactics that attract, engage, and delight Gen Z. I'm Zach, founder of Enrollify. And I'm Nicole, director of marketing at Mongoose. You can subscribe to this series and access other podcasts, e-courses, videos, and more at enrollify.org. And if you want to learn a little bit more about Mongoose, you can do so by heading to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. All right, Nicole. So our friends over at Glacier, Glacier is a digital advertising shop out of Calgary, Canada, and they are you know, really sort of on the cutting edge of how to advertise to high school students. They've got like a robust portfolio of digital advertising services. Uh, they're popular all over North America, but they are, they are based in Canada. And they just put out this really interesting report on where higher education marketers spend their media budget. And they, they put it out like a few times a year. It's always worth reading. So if you haven't checked it out or if you're not familiar with Glacier, head on over to their website. I think that there's still sort of like a pop-up banner that prompts you to go download this resource. Uh, but one of the striking things uh, that I found in in this in their latest edition was that 80% of higher ed marketers find it challenging to market to Gen Z, right? And so one of the things that we wanted to do as we sort of kick off this special series is, is really dive into this question that I think, you know, as this data articulates, a lot of us are asking, which is like, how the heck do we reach and communicate and compel this audience, this uh, demographic to respond to our communications, to, you know, take action on our, on our specific offers, right? And this is a question that's really important to answer since for many of the people tuning in today, they're trying to reach these people, right? They're trying to get in front of their, uh, their screens. They're trying to get inside their inboxes and, you know, get noticed and interacted with. Um, so, I thought it'd be fun to just kind of kick off the today's chat by asking you, like, what was the last interaction or a recent conversation you had with somebody who falls into the Gen Z demographic? And was there anything like notable or particularly striking about that exchange that's uh, that worth that's worth sharing? Yeah, I mean, it is like the age old question. I mean, I still remember when I was younger and there'd be all those articles about like, how do we talk to millennials? And now <laughs> yeah. it's how do we talk to Gen Z? And I think with all of these, it's always just like, you know, we forget that they're, they're people, they're regular people, just like me and you with, you know, a few odds and ends that are probably a little different. Um, I am on a volleyball league and the longer I'm on it, the older I am, I'm the more <laughs> senior member of the volleyball league. And every year there's some younger kids who come on um, that. I mean, the most notable thing is they make me do feel a little bit old because they tell me things like YOLO is no longer a term that we use, um, but I like to use it anyways to, so that they make fun of me. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, it's just demystifying that they're completely different than um, how you and I talk and how you and I want to be um, have conversations with each other, be communicated to or marketed to. Um, I What was really notable is that I feel like they're way more tech savvy than mm. I was at that age. I mean, when I was like 21, 22, social media was just kind of coming up and now it's just been like a part of their lives. So I think that they, they seem to be a little bit more um, in the know about mm. tactics that we might've used in the past and been a little bit more, um, I guess, like wary of things or kind of they they know like, oh, you're you're emailing me with this little bit of a spammy subject line. I'm less likely to open that. Um, and so some of the tactics that might've been working a few years ago probably don't work as well with Gen Z. So that that's what I would, yeah. I've noticed, but I'd love to hear what you, what you think too. That's a, that's a really good point on the spammy subject lines real fast, because uh, it, it's almost like this sense of like pride, like, like that I've yeah. observed among Gen Z. Oh, pfft like come on I know what you're doing no I'm, I'm too smart for yeah, that I'm too smart yeah. for that delete right <laughs> like 
and like it's like things like I think about this is like the things that like my parents or like uh my my grandmother like might fall for like uh you know uh, when she gets an email and she's oh my gosh did you see that and your grandma that is so obviously spam it's like I feel like Gen Z in in some ways like feels that way about what I would see is just like a sort of like a quippy subject line of like oh cool like props to the marketer like love this (laughs) they're like please like come on this is so annoying it's like a sense of pride exactly exactly um, you can find those things and avoid them yeah yeah and and (laughs) I feel like the same thing like is true sort of outside of the inbox just with any sort of like digital advertising if if they smell something that's a little bit like no 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 no, you're asking (laughs) me to do something and you're trying to pretend like you're not really asking me to do that like that is that is problematic that doesn't sit well with me I, I wonder if it sort of like you know goes back to their like deep sort of sense of like social justice too and just like being like no 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 like speak straight to me like don't yep. n- you know I don't I don't have time for your manipulative games right um anyways I, I'm, I'm projecting here but I, I do feel like there, <laughs> there might be some little bit of truth in that <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah I think like just being direct and transparent is like some of the best ways you can communicate. They're not going to fall for that spammy clickbait type uh, messaging or marketing or social media ad. Like they want to know, like they pride themselves on like getting down to the truth, understanding like what are the core things that I'm going to get out of this and why should I respond? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was talking to my uh, sister the other day and she's 17 years old and so she falls into this uh age demo and what she was saying like so she never responds to this or, or in any of like the family email chains right or like you know my mom will be like okay the holidays are coming up like where do you all want to do thanksgiving and you know there's you know back and forth with me and some of my other siblings and then she just like never chimes in right um and <laughs> yet when you text her like you get a response in like a matter of seconds like she responds quicker to my text than anyone else i know like faster than my wife, faster than like my buddies, faster <laughs> than my coworkers, right? And so it what was funny is like I was asking her the other day, I was like, you know, Abby, like why do you why don't you respond to email? Like why like you there's all these questions that are posed directly to you via email that you want to answer, but you'll respond to anyone on my text. And like her response was like, email takes so much thought, whereas like texting is effortless. And I thought, wow, if I could just like have bottled that up and like shot that right. around LinkedIn, like that would have been beautiful. And like, it's funny because it's like, to me, responding to an email is pretty similar to responding to a text, especially if it's like a personal communication, right? Like, I don't, I don't think about it as requiring more effort, but for some reason in her mind, the fact that you're opening that Gmail app, right? And having to go and respond, there's a level of, I guess, from her perspective, intentionality and clarity that you need to provide via email that you don't need to when it's a simple text message. So I don't know if you guys have talked, you know, talked about this over at Mongoose or what your thoughts are on this, uh, this reality, if this extends outside of, you know, my sister's experience. But I would imagine that things like this are, are common among Gen Z. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, we talk about this all the time. Um, with like how people prefer to be texted or just communicated with in general. And we do see that when people implement some form of texting, whether it's a nudge or a reminder or to initiate um, a campaign, they get a much higher response rate um, from students with that. And I do think it's because there is that intent, like with email, you do have to open up an app and go in where a text is like right on their screen. And that's what they see immediately. And um I think that it is, I love that phrase that it's effortless, you know, um, and it is easy to just send a text that says, hey, how are you feeling about midterms this year? And they send an emoji that's like an angry emoji, like it's just quick, <laughs> responsive, like timely, um, where an email might feel a little bit more professional, a little bit more like they have to put on like their student cap and professionalism a little bit in order to respond to it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you're um your sister's feeling that way. We're seeing a lot of data where, you know, the the younger they are, the more open they are to receiving texts, especially mm. from schools. Um, I think there was a report recently from RNL where they said, like, you know, high school seniors this year, um, they won't, they don't really want to text until after they've applied or mm. they've done some sort of action. Where actually sophomores are more open to receiving texts from schools prior to even applying. Mm. Um, so it seems like 
Gen Zers are getting more and more familiar, more okay and comfortable with receiving texts as a form of a marketing communication rather than just a nudge or a reminder um, once they're already like applying or invested into a school. That's super, super interesting. Yeah, and I do, I do feel like just anecdotally that does align with sort of what I hear my you know younger sister and, and some of her friends uh, talk about. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. The way high school students navigate the admissions process has changed. But has your outreach strategy? It's time to meet Mongoose. Designed with your admissions goals in mind, Mongoose's market-leading conversational software allows your school to create a unique, omni-channel communication strategy that helps you stand out from the competition and helps you connect with more prospects with less work. Meet students where they already are with their premier texting platform, Cadence, or instantly deliver personalized engagement to each website visitor with their AI conversational chatbot, Harmony. To learn more about Mongoose's offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. I guess like the question that I've been wrestling with a lot. And I know that others in this space have, that I've even talked to about this have also been sort of like questioning this is, you know, higher ed institutions, like they're not D to C brands, right? Like it's not Mm -hmm. like Disney or PlayStation or, you know, Chick-fil-A or all birds, right. Or, you know, uh, cuts clothing, whatever it might be like, you know, these are not cool, trendy, like new brands that, that are like in the know around, okay, this is how you talk to this particular audience, let alone like they're selling products or they're selling uh, services that are like especially conducive to this audience. Like I I wonder if like you guys have any insight or or data around like what is the appropriate tone that schools should take with a 17-year-old when, you know, they're selling education, not, you know, a new pair of running shoes right and and <laughs> yeah. like i i think that why this is important to to think through is that i could see arguments going both ways like no like hey institution you need to get out of your ivory tower you need to become a little bit more casual with your brand the future of brand is casual and you need to fit, find a way to you know relate with these 17 year old through a bunch of emojis right <laughs> or you could take you could you can argue the opposite which is like no in order to like differentiate right from other communications that they might be receiving from brands it's especially important because of just how you know premium if you will the product of education is that schools take a little bit more of like a sophisticated um approach to their communications so i'm sure there's like if those are opposite ends of the spectrum there's a ton of options in in between but like how do you guys think about this and you know, even uh, anecdotally, like what are, how are the schools that you all work with um, wrestling with these really like big questions around, I guess, like personality with respect to communications? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the schools that we work with have the same issues. And I think the answer is, unfortunately, it is a balance, you know, it's not going one direction, it's not going the other. Um, so you do want to be relatable. You do want to feel like you're not living behind some sort of wall. Gen Z, I feel definitely likes when you're being very transparent and open and direct about who you are, what you can provide them and what you're trying to like, what value you're trying to bring to them. Um, they're not going to like, if you're, like you said, living in that ivory tower coming off to kind of like corporate professional, um, prestigious, I don't think that they're going to appreciate that. But on the other end, they're not going to appreciate if you're trying to be them. If you're trying to Mm. talk in the slang that they want, that you think that's like cool or doing like a a weird TikTok video, just because you see like, oh, you know, Chick-fil-A is doing these cool TikTok dances. Maybe we do. While it could be funny, like sometimes it can come off that you're just like out of touch a little bit and that you're trying too hard. Um, So I think striking that balance where you are transparent, you are direct, but you're also not trying to be something you're not. And that does go into that transparency. If you do want to talk to Gen Zers as a Gen Zer, I would suggest like enrolling some of your students to help with that so that it's actually a Gen Zer talking to another Gen Zer how they talk um, rather than, you know, having someone on your staff pretend to be a student and be like, 
oh, here you go. Like, again, here's me with my bad uh, terminology, like YOLO, school is lit, um, <laughs> LOL. What do you think? Something like that. Like, they're going to read right through yeah. that. Like we said before, that they're prideful to know that they're kind of like seen through that um, that strategy, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, so if you try to pretend you're something you're not, they're, they're going to be turned off by that. Yeah, no. And as you're talking, one idea that I'm sure your partner schools and others are, are implementing, but if you're not, maybe it's worth testing is like, can you like sort of solicit the support from students to those casual texts, right? That you were talking about earlier, like, Hey, how's the semester going? Or how are you feeling about finals? Like, can you have a student on your team during specific seasons throughout the school year, send those outbound texts, right? Like, can you have a, uh, college freshmen text your the high school senior audiences that you're nurturing in their spring or maybe even in the fall and say hey uh have you made your final decisions about college yet or what uh campus tours are you considering this year and like actually have a student on the other end of that communication so that it is a little bit more authentic right it's still coming from the university but it's like university x you know but signed zach right as like hey nicole how are you doing how are you feeling about campus tours like would love to you know answer any questions you might have about how i made my decision about which schools to attend and visit and which ones not to etc would love to have you at you know university x and let me know if you have any questions or something like that right but then you're soliciting support during just like strategic like uh seasons kind of throughout the year and then those communications are interspersed with other sort of like outbound, you know, university communication saying, hey, by the way, we want to see you at this event, RSVP here, or hey, we hope you enjoyed this event. Like, if you've got more questions, schedule time with an admissions counselor here. So uh, do you guys have schools that are sort of like uh, working in both uh, ways? And if so, like, how how is that going? Anything you can share with respect to strategies or tactics that folks might be able to try and implement in their own context. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the key to any of that is being personable and having personalized communication that goes out to Gen Z, whether that's text message or on your website, um, in your email. I think any ways that you can make it seem like it's not a mass um, text message or message just kind of being blasted out um, with no regards to who they are um, helps with getting those replies back. And I think also being timely on when you send it. So um, we know schools who have had a lot of success that you send up a follow-up text like right after, say they've submitted their application to apply to your school and you follow up with like, hey, thank you. We're going to, and give them an action where you're going to say, we're going to follow up in these many days. Feel free to reach out here if you have any questions on the status of your application, you know giving them that personal one-on-one -on -one communication makes them feel like you're, you care about them, you're being transparent about your process, and you're making them feel secure about um, their communications with you. And I've seen a lot of schools have really great success with implementing campaigns where they send texts at the right time, depending on what their goals are hmm. um, with communicating to students. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, you know, one of the questions that so many people wrestle with, too, is just like, what is the cadence of communications that makes the most sense with these audiences? You know, should you time your texting campaigns with your email campaigns? Should your texting campaigns come before or after sort of a uh, outbound blast you might be prepping to send? Like, I think that that is sort of the age old question for for folks is like, you know, it's less about if texting now, like, hopefully, most schools understand that you're not texting you really need to be but more about sort of like okay but you are texting but how does that fit into sort of a, your larger enrollment marketing communication strategy and i think that that is the short answer is probably like it depends right like it depends on who, who's your audience and like how many communications are they receiving from you through other channels and whatnot but i do think that like that is a big question that people are are thinking on so do you guys like what what do you think about that like should do you guys have any data that suggests that like timing texting campaigns in conjunction with like a drip sequence where on every 7 days they're going to get an email and every 7 days on the day that they get the email they should also get a text or whether that should be sort of like interspersed between the 7 days um, between email number one and email number two anything you can speak to just around like cadence and like what kind of works and what kind of doesn't Yeah definitely I think um when you're thinking more of like a drip campaign with an email, um, 
I feel like texting is more of just a nudge. Um, I wouldn't, I would say you do most of that kind of nurturing follow-up drip campaign through the email, because, you know, with texting, you don't want to get to a point where you're bombarding them. Mm. And cause that's when they're going to unsubscribe. They're going to say, stop. They're going to feel a little harassed because if you're texting them as much as you email them, they're not going to like that. Um, so be strategic with when you text, when it's more of a drip campaign type um, strategy. I would say texting comes in really helpful when there's a long process. So mm. like admissions, students don't want to feel like they're forgetting something or they're left in the dark or um, they've missed something. And that's when texting can be really important because you can nudge them and remind them of important deadlines that they might miss in all of their inboxes. Um, so if like a financial aid deadline's coming up and you know that they haven't um, submitted their application yet, you, sending them a text and saying, hey, just an FYI, like Friday is the financial aid deadline. Like, do you have any questions? Anything like that. That's when a text is really important because then the student's going to feel really appreciated that they're not left in the dark. They know what's going on and they're not going to feel frustrated that they had to dig through a bunch of emails to remember where and when they're supposed to send this application. I love that that framework of thinking about text as like uh, a way to nudge people and sort of like a, a reminder. And it was funny as you gave that example. I was thinking about uh, this literally happened over the weekend. Uh, my my wife got a um, a late uh, fee from Sprint, and she was like, "Why do I have like a late fee?" And she realized, "Oh, she hadn't like paid." And even though I tell her to set up auto payment, she still to this day <laughs> like doesn't. Um, and anyway, so she called customer support, and she was like, "Hey, uh, you, you know, I've never been late before. I'm not really sure like how I miss this payment, but can I just pay it now? And uh, could you waive like the late fee?" And they were like, "Yeah, you know. Oh, by by the way, like uh." why did you miss the payment? And what she realized in that moment, she was like, oh, well, usually I get like a text like the day before reminding me that like mm. my payment is due. And then I'd follow up on that text, but I didn't get the text this month. So they must have changed, Sprint must have changed something. I don't know if it was like a system change or their marketing team is experimenting with something a little bit differently, but the text alert that she's used to receiving that reminds her to pay the bill, she didn't receive. And so she was late on the payment. Um, and anyways, it was just like this, like really interesting notion that, oh, wow, like we've become, and, and I, I do the same thing with like a, a credit card. It's like, we've become a little bit reliant on these nudges, right. In a yep. different channel. I get a zillion emails from Capital One, but like it's the text that I get from them that I really pay attention to. So love, love that. And I do think that that's just true for, you know, outside of just higher education. And if it's true for me and, and my wife, it's probably even you know truer for Gen Z. Right. Yeah. I mean, I always say when, whether you're marketing to Gen Z or um, just students or anybody, it's always good to just remember, like, how do people, um, how do you act? How do you just normally act? What's your behavior? And so like, I think about me when I get reminder emails or what have you, I kind of have like this group of unread emails that are like to follow up on. And maybe I'll remember, maybe I'll, I won't. Maybe when it's a slow day, I'll kind of go through and try to get to like inbox zero, you know, but a text message, like that's a red notification on my phone. That's like there. Cause I'm communicating with, you know, like a bunch of my friends and my parents and you're in there every day and you just see it always right there. And it, for me, I'm one of those people who hates having like a red notification yeah. on my app. So I have to get <laughs> rid of it. So like, that's going to be more annoying and more upfront in my mind and make me take action versus, you know, like an email that I can just, it's just one of many that's in my kind of unread to do follow-ups. Um, that's for another day. Love it. Love it. Um, so let's talk about gated content, right? Because I think in as marketers, especially as uh, marketers in higher ed, like we were a little late to sort of the whole like inbound game. <laughs> and we are still kind of, you know, juicing inbound strategies, to be honest, and it's it's still working really well in many in many contexts. And I don't know, it I feel like it took forever to get the industry uh, uh, adopted and, and sort of like really like up to speed on the notion that if you create, you know, really good, valuable content and you throw up a form in front of that content, you'll, you know, double, triple, quadruple your prospect, uh, and really ultimately your inquiry pool. And, you know, you're doing so in a very permission-based way. And folks finally like really got excited about this. And, you know, higher ed's always five to 10 years behind every other industry with respect to the marketing strategies that, you know, work and, 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 and whatnot. And so um, 
I think that there's still this like notion that like gated content is the way to go because it makes us feel good. Like we understand, oh, cool. Like I see that trigger notification come in and, you know, Nicole downloaded this ebook and hey, you know, this ebook was on X things to consider before choosing your MBA program. And ooh, she's clearly a prospect. She's clearly interested in our program, right? And it, it just, it, it really makes you feel good. Uh, and it does, you know, it, it works. But Gen Z operates pretty differently and uh there's a lot of there's there's a growing sort of like body of of uh data and knowledge that suggests that this is true that they're a little bit more hesitant to give their information in exchange for accessing anything and i did a little slack poll uh with my with my team uh yesterday just asking like hey who has downloaded like a ebook or some sort of like a digital offering from a brand that was you know educational of the and that they you know first encountered on sort of like social media in the past you know six months, and it was funny. Everyone on my team that falls into the Gen Z uh, demographic said zero. Everyone that was in like the upper, like the older sort of like millennial slash like you know Gen X uh, demo said like two or three. So it was just like like super interesting. Like again, it wasn't a very statistically sound poll because it was like thirty people, <laughs> but like it was it was still super interesting, right? And like oh wow, like there is something to be said for how Gen Z thinks about giving their information. So like, what do you guys? Uh, think about or what do your clients talk about with respect to gate content or not gate content when it comes to prospect and inquiry generation? Yeah. I mean, I, my career started as a content marketer. So I was like born and bred on the inbound model and, you know, gating content was like the way to prove your worth, you know? Yeah. And so it um, was the best way to say like, look, this blog or this ebook that I wrote was brought in this many leads that we could potentially talk to. So it is a little scary to think like, oh, well, why would I take down that gate gated content in like that form? If then I'm not going to know who's going to read my blog. Yeah. I'm not going to know who's going to read my ebook. Um, but you know, Gen Zers, like we said in the beginning are a little bit more savvy and they don't want blockers to get to the information. And especially with the rise of, you know, data privacy with GDPR in Europe and then the, I'm blanking, but the California data privacy yeah. that's going on, it's going to be more mainstream as we go on. And I think growing up with internet and technology, Gen Zers are a little bit more savvy on like protecting their data and they don't want to easily give away their email um, for something that's not going to be beneficial to them. So if they're going through and they're looking for information, if you have blockers up like um, a form to get to, you know, your uh, brochure about a program or your school or what have you, um, they're going to feel frustrated by mm. that. And um, they're going to leave your website and you're potentially instead of getting that lead, you're probably going to lose a potential lead because they're going to want to, they want it to, to get the information as easily as possible. Um, so by taking down that gated content and making your valuable content as easily accessible as possible is probably going to help gain that loyalty and that trust from Gen Z better than having a form in front of it. Yeah. Do you, and I'm curious, right? Like to just play a little bit of devil's advocate here yeah. or to argue the point a little bit. Like, I think what is just so hard is when you are working in an enrollment management uh, shop, or even if you're working in higher ed Marcom, and you need to sort of, again, prove your worth, right, or, or help give leadership some indication of like, who is in our pipeline, right? Like, we're spending $250,000 a year on marketing, like, what's working and what's not, right? Gating content was a really helpful indicator, right, for what was working and what what wasn't and now like removing that right it's like how else do you sort of ensure that you're nurturing prospects earlier on in their journey to enrollment or like with gen z is it is, is sort of like the reality that we just need to be okay with you know meeting them when they show up how they show up and we don't really have a lot of control over sort of like the nurturing <laughs> that we're used to being able to do from like came in off of a Google ad to get them to submit that formal inquiry form from that formal inquiry form, get them to actually, you know, start that application. Once they start that application, get them to finish that application and then ultimately get them to yield. Right. So like, I guess 
what what should we do? Like if, if we want to establish relationships with Gen Z earlier on in sort of their journey to college, like how how do we go about doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, even just that example you said about how like, you know, they go on and they click a Google ad and it goes to their landing page and then it goes through. I don't even know if Gen Z are doing that yeah. because there's a lot of um, studies that show like, you know, again, they're very privy to what it is and they know to scroll through the, the Google page that says ad where maybe, you know, like someone who's older than us might not realize the difference between the ad and the yep. first per, organic result. Uh, page. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think Gen Z is not even probably going to be using Google ads as much as um, previous audiences. So I think just it is going to be a bit of a shift on like how we measure marketing. Um, and I think having, instead of looking at leads, looking more at like conversations, engagement, um, maybe like requests to speak to a counselor or to speak to someone at the school, um, incorporating things like a chat bot might be a great place to, you know, make up for that lack of forms where, yeah, they're on your page that has all this great information and you have a chat bot that pops up saying like, hey, do you need more information about this? It either leads them to more information or it can maybe connect them directly to a staff member who can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. Um, and that's going to show you like, yeah, it's frictionless. You know, they're able to, you're able to build relationships. You're able to provide value on a personal basis without them having to give that email information until maybe they're like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of stuck or I'm really interested. I want to have someone reach out to me. And yeah. then you can still have that contact come in on a more personable and much more timely basis than them submitting a form and then getting followed up with like two to three days later. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. And I think, you know, what's coming to mind too is maybe, maybe the reality is we're entering into a moment in history where higher ed needs to stop worrying so much about sort of like the quantity of inquiries and sort of like the quantity of leads that they're generating in any given cycle. And it's much more about sort of like the quality of lead, the quality of relationship you're sort of establishing. And like in theory, right, if you've done a really good job at creating great content, communicating that message, right, help making sure that like when people think of your institution, they think of these three things that make you unique then the, you shouldn't really care if you generate 10,000 prospects, right? Or 100,000 prospects or 1,000 prospects. If, if your goal is a 1,000 students, right? Like if you get 1,000 prospects and all of them yield, you're done. You don't care about 10,000 or 100,000, you know, uh, prospects. And so maybe, maybe the reality that we're slowly or maybe not so slowly stepping into is like, we need to reframe as you're saying, how we think about marketing, how we think about sort of like measuring marketing and really think a little bit more about, no, 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 today it's now about, you know, if, if Zach comes in and he submits a question via a chat bot, right? Zach's hot and he's ready to get an answer now. Like who's jumping on Zach right now? He's way more qualified than the hundred people in the past week that's filled out sort of a, a, a form to get an ebook who then didn't respond to any of the, you know, post communications that you sent after they downloaded that ebook, right? Zach's, Zach's hot now. Schools need resources to be able to talk to Zach now because now is when he's asking questions. So maybe it's a little bit more about, again, to just reiterate what I think you're saying, totally reframing how we think about like inquiry pools and like mm -hmm. prospect pools and being open to the fact that those are going to shrink dramatically uh, as we sort of step into these new recruitment strategies and tactics. But that doesn't necessarily mean like yield or enrollment have to decrease. And quite honestly, right. it could actually increase because there's more attention paid to these inquiries because there are fewer of them. But there are fewer of them because you're meeting these inquiries when they're actually ready to have a conversation about making a quote unquote, you know, buying decision, which is to come to your school. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if anybody listening is feeling frustrated about this and thinking like, oh man, I just got on, I just got, you know, everybody on board with gating content. And now you're telling me <laughs> no, like it, this is a challenge for every marketer, regardless of what industry you're on. And it's definitely like at the forefront of like where marketing's going. So just be aware that like every marketing company is reaching this challenge and having these discussions. So if you can start thinking about these things now, you're at the forefront of like where everybody's going to be and you'll probably be ahead of your competitors. Um, but I think it, yeah, it just goes down to, you know, like 
Gen Z wants it to be timely and personable and, you know, forms, there's not the way to do that. Implementing more like ways you can reach out when they're ready to reach out as soon as possible, like a chatbot um, is a great way to kind of improve trust and get them to connect and build that relationship with you. Yeah. And uh, just to follow up there too, I think that when what's beautiful about tools like chatbots is you're you're there, like you're, you're making it clear that, Hey, if Nicole, if you're ready, like I'm here to talk to you. Like I can give you, I can give you more context, right? Like I can give you a little bit more insight to, uh, than, than what you can find on this particular page. I can connect with you with somebody who's like the expert, right? Who can really help answer your questions, but it's all on your terms. Like mm-hmm. you interact with me if you want, right? I'll, I'll pop up saying I'm here. I'll make sure that you, you know, know where to find me if you need me. But other than that, like it's all it's it's all on you. Like you are in control, sort of of your uh, discernment, right? Like of your sort of like educational uh, um, search, right? And I think that that is also sort of an indicator of like what this generation cares a lot about. Like they care a lot about consumption of information and research on their terms, not on the yep. terms of of somebody else. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think the more you can allow them to do that DIY, you know, research and kind of find the information for themselves and then choose to reach out when they're ready to kind of have a a further conversation about things is going to make them more likely to kind of have that reach out. If they feel like you're pestering them with forms or, you know, emails or everything, there's blockage in order to get that information, they're going to feel frustrated and they're going to go to someone else who it's much more easy for them to get all the information they want on their terms. I, I think you're spot on with that kind of insight. And maybe one of the the challenges too, as I'm, as I'm just thinking through everything that you're saying is like the problem with higher ed is like the information does exist, right? But it's stored in, you know, the admissions counselor's brain or it's stored in the director of Marcom's brain. And it's like, I think the reality, like higher ed is so used to being like, no, 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 like you can get answers to all of these questions, but you have to follow this very linear path that we've set up because it, it correlates to how we run things internally. And the reality is like the, the path to information is no longer linear for, for anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that buyers make purchasing decisions is not linear. And so like, we're so ridiculous if we think that like because we've set things up structurally internally that that needs to inform the the way in which prospects come into information and come into knowledge about our program about our offerings about sort of like how to get started on our application like that is so silly because like that's just not how humor you know consumer humor it's it's (laughs) not it's not how consumer behavior works anymore um so yeah, it, it, it yeah. I think it's just a, a nice reminder that like, hey, the reality is your silos and your internal friction is not has no relevance or no bearing on sort of like how the prospects user experience should be as they relate to your institution. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to, you know, coming off that ivory tower, you know, like stop trying to hide all this knowledge that you have. Um and instead be very transparent, very open, be and just show like, hey, these are all the things we can provide you. Here's all the great resources we have. Be as transparent and open as possible without having any kind of walls or things that they have to get over in order to get that information. Because um, I think that that's going to just, you know, help with loyal or not loyalty, um, trust mm. with you and, you know, um, making them feel like they can reach out to you when the time is right. And thinking of like the student journey and the buyer's journey, it is definitely not linear. And again, you know, Gen Zers are people. So think about how you kind of go through a situation, how you research and think about all the other people who influence your decision. So, you know, Gen Z, I believe want, their parents are a lot more involved in, you know, the school decision-making. So think about probably all that information that they're going to be sharing off your website to their parents. Um, You know, that's stuff you can't track, but you want to make sure that it's shareable so that you can build trust with their parents as well as the student. Um, So there's all these kind of different factors that aren't going to be trackable, that aren't going to be linear, that's going to come in at different parts of that journey. And you just want to make sure that you're providing as much value 
as much transparency to them as possible. Love it. Um, and, and couldn't agree more there. And it reminds me to you, there was this article that Rand Fishkin published today on his blog, uh, which just, you know, plug for, if, if you guys aren't following Rand Fishkin or, uh, the spark blog, you should be because, uh, Rand is from Moz. He, he was the founder of Moz. Uh, now he's, uh, at spark Toro and he's just a really interesting character and just has loads of insight um and is one of my favorite follows across every platform um but one one of the things that he was saying uh which i think aligns very much with what you're saying here nicole is like the behavior of gen z to just sort of like avoiding uh a paid search right like and and Mm -hmm. really thinking twice before clicking on a link or interacting with something that does look paid and sponsored he was making this point that like you know, with marketing attribution, people that run search campaigns, people that, you know, uh, run programmatic advertising, right? They pride themselves because they go to the client or they go to their, maybe they're an in-house marketing shop and they go to their leaders and say, look how many, like 70% of, you know, your apps from this year uh, interacted with or clicked on a, 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 a keyword that we were specifically targeting as a part of this, you know, robust paid search campaign that we're running for you. And Rand's kind of point was like, well, how many of those people like would have clicked, like would have bought anyways? Like how many of those people would have enrolled anyways? Because guess what? They were using, you know, the name brand of the institution, name brand of the company in their search query. So they were looking at like, you know, how do I buy uh, Mongoose Harmony, right? Or how do I buy Mongoose Cadence, right? And, you know, it's as if like, you know, the Mongoose in-house paid search person was like, see, Nicole, look, I told you paid search works. Like Zach, Zach came on off of this query and he's now a, a customer of, of harmonies and it's like it, you you could say well you know zach like his based off his his query his search intent like he was already ready qualified who's to say that he wouldn't have bought that if he had clicked on the organic link instead right like maybe it was an accident right. um and i think like rand's he said a lot in this article but one of his bigger <laughs> points was like it's really important right that we think critically about what 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 is our organic strategy like what kind of content are we creating that we do own that we do have control of that we're less reliant on search or uh, other sort of like programmatic paid efforts in order to sort of you know get out there and what would it look like if we could shift a little bit away from thinking oh i need to spend 100,000 200,000 300,000 dollars a year on branded search campaigns and instead it was like huh what if I could take some of that money and reallocate it into these other tactics, such as getting set up with a chatbot or thinking a little bit more, like actually hiring somebody to think critically about your texting strategy that's in-house, right? Not just a vendor, but somebody on your team that can think through these things. Like, does that in the long run end up producing more ROI when it comes to engaging with a new student recruitment audience, right? A new, a new demo that is not even really interested in engaging with these tactics that previous generations were maybe a little bit more willing to engage with. So that was a lot, but uh, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, lots of thoughts. Um, I mean, when it comes to, you know, like how could we, you spend all this time, like, you know, and money spending on like getting new people to come into your website, but then are you really thinking about like, what happens on the website, you know, um, what happens once I get their contact information, what's that experience kind of like, and I think that's where you can make or break things. And as we're talking about how, you know, Gen Z is not going to be clicking on ads and they're not going to be responding to emails as much. It's more important to start thinking about, okay, what is the website and the experience like as a student, once we do get them here, because, um, that's, what's going to make or break, um, their decision-making and whether you add, I mean, not all technologies are treated the same. So I think, you know, obviously with chatbots, um, I'm quite quite well versed with that. And (laughs) there's bad chatbots and good chatbots. So like, yeah, maybe you have a chatbot that's on there, but maybe that's causing more friction points for people. Maybe it's not providing, you know, the information that they want. You want to make sure you have that good balance of like providing information, but also making sure that when there's a need for reaching out on a personable basis, that they have that available. And same with text messaging, like what does your text messaging strategy really look like once you get, I mean, you worked so hard to get that phone number, yeah, right? And then yeah. you're going to lose it by, you know, texting them that it's tree day. Like they don't care. They don't care that it's flag day. <laughs> they don't care that, you know, it's, we all know it's 4th of July. Like don't be wasting your text strategy on that. Instead, think strategically about, okay, I've got this phone number. This is gold for me. 
how I'm going to, how am I going to use this to nurture and build trust with this contact through texting? And that's, I think what's going to make the difference in your strategy. It's your comments are reminding me too of a, a conversation I had with Matt Dittlgen, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Glacier, who we mentioned earlier, who put out that awesome uh, report on where hired marketers spend their money. And one of the things Matt was saying, we were talking about TikTok, and he was saying, you know, the thing about like going into any sort of like new channel or experimenting on a new platform, it's like the, the way that higher ed like approaches these new platforms is it, it's sort of like they, they walk into the party and they're a little bit tone deaf, right? Like it, it's like the person <laughs> yes. that like walks in to the party, they're talking really loudly. It, you know, they're dressed up to, you know, the nines, nobody, everyone else is wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And it's super clear that they like missed the memo that, you know, this, this wasn't the Oscars, right? Like, and that this is just a casual hangout and so much so that it, it looks weird. So they might get like a, a little bit of attention initially, but it's not good attention, right? It's like, right. Ooh, it's, <laughs> that's cringy, right? Like, and, and I think that like, uh, what Matt was basically getting at is like when you come to any new, it doesn't even need to be a social platform, but any new channel, like we're talking about texting, right? Like you can't just show up to texting and treat it like you do email, right? Or like you do your organic social content. Like you have to invest and think critically about like what actually works with this channel. Like, and the like it or not, that just takes time, right? And so my whole thing is, and what you're getting at is like, yeah, don't, you, your texting strategy shouldn't be to send a outbound promotional text for every holiday, right? Like it really needs to be considered uh, as a unique channel with a unique culture, right? And you, you don't want to be that person like at the party that everyone's kind of like looking, looking at and judging. Like you want to be thought of as like a, participant right in this space and and in order to do that like there's no way around it but to treat it with the respect that it deserves and I think that's the biggest mistake that higher ed makes when they get into these new channels or these new platforms is as you're saying they buy this thing right or they spend all this money getting people to the website but then they don't really think about the experience that their website actually delivers right and if people spent way more time and money on that side of the house right like I do think we'd see way more ROI, way more engagement. We'd, we'd see it, it would be a lot easier to sort of like discern UVPs between schools and whatnot. And the reality is like, it's totally in the, in, in institutions power to make that happen, but it takes intentionality and it takes sort of a decision at the leadership level that, you know, we're not going to just do texting. We're going to set up a team in-house to figure out how do we do this better than any other small liberal arts school in the state of Wisconsin? Like, how do we make our texting strategy stand out way above them? Um, and I think that that's totally possible and doable, but again, just takes, it takes intentionality and time. Yeah. And I mean, um, luckily, um, at Mongoose, we have some really great texting experts who've worked with, you know, like 600 plus universities. So they have done this where they know like what works, what doesn't. And you don't have to just do texting when it's like, you know, application deadlines. There are fun ways you can incorporate texting to build relationships, to grow trust, to like build that transparency with students that isn't like going to come off like a mass text um, that's impersonal, impersonable, you know. And there are things that you can do that are a little, you know, like going to increase ROI. It's going to increase engagement. You're going to get that actionable step. And I always, and we always um, encourage our clients to like, first think what's the objective you want with that tax? Like Mm. what is the outcome that you're trying to get and make sure that it's actionable. Like, don't be just, that's the problem with sending out like happy 4th of July. Great. Blah, blah, blah. Like that's not actionable. So like, instead say like, if you're checking in on a student to see like how, what's their mental health like. Hmm. Um, So maybe during finals, you'd be like, send an emoji of how you're feeling during finals week, you know, like it's fun, it's relatable and it's feeling a little personable. And then you can also have follow-up feedback. So say they send an emoji where it's like an angry face or like a sad face. Maybe that's a trigger that they need to be reached out to one-on-one. And so you can start segmenting out like the responses and you can either say like, oh, well done or, do you need your counselor to reach out to, you know, like there are kind of creative, unique ways you can use texting to build relationships, but it does take like, you know, practice and kind of figuring out what the best tone is, what the best cadence is. Um, and luckily if you work with Mongoose, well, we've done all the hard work for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, it, it, I think it's just a nice reminder to, you know, texting is a, 
it is a communication channel, right? Like it is, it's dialogue based, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like you can, you can have emails that the intention of the email is really just a blast, right? Like that's why they have like no reply at, you know, enrollify.org or whatever it is. Like they don't, they they don't want to start a conversation with you. This is purely for promotion. Uh, And same thing with, with some stuff on social, but like when it comes to texting, like people don't just text or they shouldn't for the sake of like texting and and promoting some message they should really be doing it with the anticipation that there's going to be and the expectation rather that there's going to be a response um so i love that and i think that that's important to to remember all right last thing i want to do here um is talk about just cringy things that schools do that they need to stop doing in their communications to gen z so any sort of like client context you can bring in here or just things that you've observed um uh, you, you know, you don't need to drop names or anything like that, but just that, <laughs> that people really need to stop doing if they want to gain the respect of Gen Z. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think pretending to be Gen Z or trying to speak, uh, like Gen Z when you're not. So I've seen, you know, people who've gone in and start created a persona and pretending like I'm Nicole, I'm a sophomore here. And really I'm, you know, like, in my thirties and I'm pretending to be someone who I'm not. And that's the most cringy and definitely like the quickest way to like break trust with uh, Gen Zers. And even, I mean, trying to speak like them, like, I feel like it's a never ending battle. Um, Like I think of the LOL emoji. I mean, (laughs) I still, I'm a millennial. I still use the laughing, crying face. And I think that's not like the cool emoji to be using anymore. I believe it's a the dead face now, the skull. But now I'm also hearing um, rumors that it's like a chair. Like there's, it, it keeps changing and it changes too fast to stay up with it, I feel like. So I think like pretending to not, like don't pretend like you're in the know when you're really not in the know is probably the most cringy um, communication that you can do with Gen Z. Oh yeah, no, I, I love it. And I, w- one thing I would just add is, yeah, trying um, is uh, one of the things that I've seen is like schools trying to up their like GIF and meme game uh, and yeah. just <laughs> failing miserably. Like it's just it's don't like unless you, again, have somebody who's well versed in Gen Z lingo and well versed in sort of latest TikTok trends, like please don't send a meme, please, please, <laughs> you know, don't send a GIF, uh, spare yourself. Um, talk about coming to the party in your ball gown if you send yeah, the wrong yeah. gif or meme <laughs> like oh gosh you're gonna just need the laughing stock oh, <laughs> of gosh. your students oh gosh well nicole this was a blast um and i'm excited for our listeners this is just uh the first episode of many to come in this special segment that Enrollify and Mongoose are teaming up together to produce. So you can follow uh, this particular segment. You can go and learn more about Mongoose and all the cool things that Nicole and her team are building. We'll have all the links to uh, cool content uh, below this episode in the show notes. Um, And if you are not already subscribed to Enrollify, you can do so at enrollify.org. But this was so much fun, Nicole, and I'm looking forward to chatting more. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Zach. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And until next time, we will see you later.